tonight, we are going to hear a testimony of a great man, God. Someone God has completely and totally transformed. And why don't you all give him a massive cheer as he comes to share. Thank you. And thanks for your testimonies. There were some lovely little messages in there. And I uh, love that last bit. Uh, God uh, did the work there. It uh, wasn't so much me. Um, I'm Steve, Steve Metcher. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I, I'm a Sully officer, I suppose. The, the rig gives me away a little bit. Uh, I retired at the start of the year in January, and uh, my wife still has 13 years to go, sucked in. <laughs> and uh, so she was appointed up here in Queensland, in Townsville. So um, if I wanted to um, stay with my wife, I suppose I have to live where she lives. And I might have had a little bit of a thought about that, but then when I realised I'd have to pay rent if I went somewhere else, I thought, I'll oh, definitely, definitely. <laughs> so here I am in Townsville. It, it was a bit hard in one sense because I have two sons um, back down south and one of the things I was looking forward to in my um, retirement was spending a lot of time with them because as an active officer, I, uh, you know, I could only use holidays and sabbaticals and what have you to get to them and, uh, and see them. I have a son, Matthew, who's 27, who will be landing in New York in 15 minutes with his, with his almost year bride. Uh, they've given each other a first anniversary present of going to, New to America for a month and journeying around, uh, driving around and flying around and going to uh, Mississippi, down the Mississippi on a paddle boat and all those things, going to watch the Cowboys play and, uh, and all those things. Uh, Matt is a, a lovely young man of 27 years of age, only turned 27 last week. I was down in Sydney for his for his birthday. Um, he's a salvo. Um, in recent years, he fell in love with the Lord, uh, which was a wonderful thing in my heart. Uh, he leads the worship team with his wife at Miranda Salvation Army, and yet he's employed by the Anglican Church in charge of uh, marketing for the youth um, in Sydney. And his wife is a nurse who, who is in charge of an aged care facility, uh, who runs that uh, of the night shift. And she's employed by the Anglican Church too, and she's a salvo. Lovely how uh, the interdenomination thing can work so so beautifully. So I'm very proud of him, and we're best mates. Uh, my youngest son is Tim. He's um, uh, he's 25. He's a Super Rugby player down in Melbourne. He's been a junior Wallaby. For, played in the uh, World Championships in Italy for Australia. Um, he's had a bit of a run with the Tars and with the Brumbies, and he's on his third year contract next year with the Rebels, Melbourne Rebels. And uh, Tim's been um, really persecuted with injuries, serious injuries, and a lot of people would have given it away um, with some of the horrible injuries and one he's just come back from having the hamstring torn off the bone and, uh, and they said he'd never play again and um, he um, was run on tight head for Melbourne rising him against Perth last Saturday and it was just a joy to see him run out there and, uh, and this Sunday he's playing against Queensland Country down in Melbourne and they've got the Wallabies back. So Toby Smith who plays for Australia is the loose head um, uh, Hanson, who plays for Australia, is the hooker, and Timmy is run on tight head uh, in that enormous quality of um, people on the team. So it's been a wonderful fight back, and I'm hoping that next year will finally be a year free of injury and he'll be able to live some of his dreams. So the two good kids, um, they both have a, um, a solid faith. Matt's more an extrovert, Tim's solid and quiet about what his faith is. Um, but more importantly, they um, put up with me and they love me and they um, push me around and do all sorts of horrible things to me. So I'm their mate and, uh, and I'm very proud of who they've become. So that's a little bit of who I am. I, um, in the Salvation Army Training College, um, Beth was in my session. Major Beth, yep, terrific. 
David, best husband, was uh, second in my second year. He came in the session after that, so I spent a lot of time. You think you've got them, had them for a while, she was. I lived with them, and uh, and that was wonderful. Beth and I became fairly close. We were always sent out together on specials, so we go to churches and have it in terms of preaching and leading for each other. We even special together. We went to um, Bathurst once, and I can remember it was snowing, and we had to do certain things. And so, whilst it's snowing, Beth would lead a song, and I had to always give the testimony. Things haven't changed. Thanks, Paula. So, I'd come out in the snow, and there's nobody there, and I'd say, hi, uh, I'm Steve, I'm a Christian guy. Remember, Beth? Just about everywhere we went, including jail. Everywhere went, hi, I'm Steve, I'm a Christian guy, and tell them a a little yarn. They were wonderful days, and um, to show you how close um, Beth and her family are to me, um, Beth's dad dedicated Matthew, and Beth and David dedicated Timothy. So I felt really very much at home uh, when I came here. And Marilyn down the bottom, she taught me all about money uh, in college and uh, down the back there. Uh, I'm still not much good with it, but she taught very, very well about the books. I've never had to handle them, but uh, it was fantastic. And so, as I said, it was much like coming back into a family of where, where I felt very comfortable. And the congregation here has also made me feel very comfortable. Okay, my journey. I was born in uh, Melbourne in 1950 and I guess uh, there started uh, a little bit of my similarity with that of Christ in the fact that we were both born in a place of very little significance. Um, By the age of, you can allow to laugh at that by the way, it's it's all right. By the age of around 13, um, uh, my mum who'd lived in very poor circumstances, we lived in a house and commission house in Maidstone which when I was born was dirt roads and it was a very outer suburb in those days. In the West, now it's an inner, inner city place. Uh, my dad was an alcoholic. Uh, really struggled with a grip of the grape. And um, worked hard as a wharfie, but uh, um, spent all his money on the grog and the results of it. And my poor mum would have to go out and battle and, uh, and get a quid to keep us fed and what have you. I accomplished reasonably well at school. I was captain of the football team and, uh, and captain of the school. Uh, and you remember how embarrassing it used to be with uh, 800 kids in the assembly on a Monday morning and being the captain I'd have to stand up and and place things to the school how the sports went on the weekend and everything else and uh, standing there in in shorts with holes in them and no underpants that was hard factual very very hard times you imagine that as a kid Uh, that's how hard times were in those days and and it was a very hard upbringing and yet when my mum when I turned 13 I'm the youngest of, of four children she couldn't take any more of the bashings and everything and, and she planned to leave. And so she said to me, we're going. The other, other kids knew uh, that uh, mum was leaving, doing a flitter and, uh, and she said, I'm taking you with me. I won't leave you. You're too young at 13 years of age. I never realised then um, what I was leaving as far as my football career. I was, I'd uh, just signed a contract with Footscray Force at 13, which is now the Western Bulldogs, uh, which was one of the youngest uh, people uh, at the time, to to be uh, in a in a graded team at 13 years of age, and uh, and I hadn't really realised how bitter I was about leaving all that behind. But I just wanted to get out of the joint. I said, "Yeah, no props." When we got to Sydney, um, I went my own way. Uh, I was working as a builder's labourer at 13 years of age, and uh, at 16, I started a bodgy brief on the Sydney waterfront. Uh, you had to be 21 to be on the waterfront, and I was working in the name of another bloke who had six kids, Dougie Lee. And uh, so I, I don't think I quite looked old enough to have six kids, but that's who I was for six months while he was over in Perth 
um, doing building with his dad in a, in a building boom in 1966. The, the gang I was in was called McHale's Navy. Um, you can imagine anybody who's old enough to remember McHale's Navy, why we would have been called McHale's Navy. A lot of crims and very hard men. And uh, it'd be nothing to walk into a pub and just turn it upside down. At 18 years of age, I was drinking very heavily all these years. At 18 years of age, they made me head bouncer at the Coogee Bay Hotel because they were sick and tired of me having pot shots at the bouncers as I employed them. Sad, isn't it? So that started a career um, that took me to um, at 27 years of age where I was the head doorman at El Toro Disco. Uh, for those of you who don't know El Toro Disco, it's the old Bexley North pub. And... Uh, it had a lovely bistro in there and we had this great idea of turning it into a disco so um, we, we kicked it off and we were just inundated. We couldn't believe the crowds we got. First night, um, they were pulling the spokes in the, where you sat down at these booths uh, to have a meal and uh, the bistro, they were pulling the spokes out and using them as weapons by the end of the night on each other. So the next day I came in and sawed all them off and we got rid of the bistro side of it. We ended up with... Um, over a thousand young people a night in there. It had a capacity crowd of 700. It ended up, it was the biggest um, disco in Sydney at the time. With what, and I had eight doormen working underneath me. So, so I suppose I'd reached my pinnacle as far as that career had gone. Uh, but I was a very lost and a very lonely man. I earned a thousand bucks a week in my hand, um, which never touched my pocket. You know, with my addictions, the drink and the gambling and everything else, I was always getting another hundred or for somebody. Um, I think you guys might know a little bit of that experience. Uh, and I just never had any peace in my life. It was around that time that I met a young lady who was a delightful uh, young woman. And uh, her family were Christians. And, um, and I started for the first time in my life because of her family and their minister, a Baptist minister, of their church to realize that God was real. Up until that time, I believed that uh, there was no such thing as God, uh, but this religion thing was good for weak people who couldn't hack it in life. And so I was grateful that there was this religious thing so those people who couldn't really handle life could you know, have a place to be safe. Uh, way out there concept, but that's what I believed. And then all of a sudden I'm challenged through these people uh, the last, um, his dad received an MBE for his services to the community. Um, the Baptist minister was a millionaire who gave it all up to, um, um, to go into the ministry. And he was a cool bloke. You know, he had it together. He, he wasn't strange like some religious people. He, he really had it together. And so I, w I, I was come under conviction that this God must be real, but not for me. So I tried to live the God life without God got out of the bouncing, married the lass, bought a little cottage up at Wentworth Falls in the Blue Mountains, took over the Mr. Juicy franchise and everything looked rosy. It looked like this lovely bloke who's got it all together, the whole works, but it was a whitewash on the outside. Inside was still the same. We had a little girl, Rhiannon, and uh, I fell deeply in love with that little girl. And after several months, uh, my then wife... Um, who was suffering from depression and having to live with a bloke like me, um, she withdrew, took the kid and went back to Sydney. 
Now, instead of trying to work it through and solve some of the problems, I just hit the bottle again. And um, ended up a bit of a soak in Katoomba, started getting a bit of, bit of work, bouncing at the Katoomba Hotel occasionally, and just started on that same cycle all over again. One night, a, um, a salvo, a Sally girl, walked into the, uh, into the um, Katoomba, the street bar, and I'm in there, and she made herself known, and she's got the war cry and everything else, and I'm having yeah, I'm with her. And she came back several Friday nights, similarly, talking, saying, hi, how are you going, and what have you. And then one Friday night, she walked in, and I had the barmaid in one hand and a schooner in the other, and she looked into my eyes, and she fell out for my knee. She didn't see a big, tough bloke with a barmaid and a schooner. She's seen a very lonely man desperately needed Christ and she just penetrated my heart and I knew and what she said you think look like you've got it all together but I know you haven't I know how much you need Christ do you know for the next two and a half to three years I never ever ever came anywhere near those pubs when she was doing the pub run <laughs> true story I said not going anywhere near that where that person is just refuse. So on a Friday night when I finish work on the council, I go around to the bowls club around the back for a couple of hours until the pub runner finished before I hit up town. Just not going back there. During that period of time, I, um, I shacked up with that barmaid. It was a term we used back in those days. And the reason I did was because she couldn't have a child. And there was this, I won't get into that again. Um, we had... A little baby boy. And I want to tell you that I just threw my whole life into that little fella. I hadn't expected that in the relationship. Nicky was born and uh, he was just my everything. He became my purpose for life. I just threw everything into him. And I, uh, going to work, I just couldn't wait to get home to just put him on my chest again. He slept on my chest. I did everything with little Nicky. And, of course, I wasn't much good for the lass. And so one night I come home and there was no lass and no Nicky. They were gone. And I can't blame um, Nicky's mum for one second. I know what sort of bloke I was back there and I can only imagine, I can only imagine how hard it would have been for her. I, um, I hit the bottle this time vigorously. I started hitting anybody who um, upset me. Um, Prior to that, I, I had a pride in my fists and I, uh, I would only use them. Um, never, never hit young people. Even when I was a, a bouncer, I called young people in their early 20s. You know, they'd have to be somebody who could handle themselves um, before I'd fight them. Um, but I just started. Somebody upset me, I'd just smack them in the face. Ended up a slotherly mess. I was drinking around the clock. I was working on the Katoomba uh, Blue Mountains Council and I had a billy... Um, that smoko and afternoon tea uh, full of, um, um, what was it, um, not Cinzano, whatever you call it, that um, it was cheap plonk, brown plonk, one of the Cinzano brands, Brandovino, that was her, Brandovino, see it's so long ago I've even forgotten the name of it mate, although I felt a bit giddy talking about it, <laughs> cheap, cheap and it looked like a cup of tea because it was brown. So it looked like I was drinking a cup of tea out of there. Because uh, I'd go up and have six schooners every lunchtime and I'd just drink all night till I couldn't drink anymore, wake up during the night and I'd put another bottle in, into my mouth. I was an absolute mess. 
it was that little girl who had prayed for me and convicted me had prayed every day for that entire time that the Lord Jesus Christ would make himself real to me. Can you believe that? Hadn't seen me all that time. And prayer cells. She's get other people praying. An officer uh, was appointed there, Tresnay Harris, and there'd be people in this room who know Tresnay Harris. She was appointed there, one of the most godliest women you'll ever come across in your life. And so she started coming up to see me at the pub and everything else on this other lass's behalf, saying, why don't you come to the salvos? Why don't you this? Because she had her praying. And I just give her the flick all the time. And then one night I was just so incredibly drunk, you know. I'd, I'd, uh, the, the week before, the two of them, uh, the young lass was going into college to become an officer and the two of them had gone looking for me and couldn't find me but they found where I'd been because you know, there was a mess where I'd been. And um, so the lass who went to college, she left a letter with the officer to give to me. And it was, I didn't even read it. I... Um, I was living in a caravan at Shell Corner at the time and I just threw it on the, on the bedside table and just started drinking it all week. On the Sunday of the next week, I was so drunk. You know, um, guys who are drinkers, you just never ever drop your drink. You know, you just don't drop a schooner. And, and, I, and a schooner fell out of my hand. It went through. And I, <laughs> and I just remember I started laughing. How did that happen? And I ordered another one and... I had a couple of sips and it went through my hand and I just laughed and laughed and I said, get a cab for me and I'm going home, you know, and I thought, I'll sleep tonight, you little beauty, because I wasn't doing much of that. I got home and I was taking my shoes off and uh, on this bedside table was this letter that this lass had written and asked the officer to give to me. I opened it up. And it was entitled, Someone Prayed for Me. And, um, and it went along the journey, you know, I know not what to do. I've tried this, I'll try that. But I'll lift you up in prayer. Someone prayed for me. And I took it all out of context and I just threw it back on the table. And I thought, I know there's a God. I can pray if I want to, anytime. So in my drunkard's stupor, I just closed my eyes and I bowed my head. And I tried to pray. There was nothing but bright lights. Absolutely nothing. So I tried harder. Still nothing but bright lights. So I tried harder. I can remember it ever so vividly. And then something happened that was very unusual uh, for me. Um, I, I just felt ill, violently ill. I had a cast iron gut in those days. Still have, really. And I, I marched out this van and I just just brought my heart up. It was the greatest technicolour you've ever seen in your life. It, just, it was unbelievable. And when it finished, I laid prostrate across the door of that caravan and I did something else I hadn't done for a long, long time. I sobbed my heart out. I surrendered. I gave in. Uh, when I asked me the words that I prayed, couldn't tell you couldn't tell you a word that I said I just gave in I surrendered and instantly instantly I rose a new creation this wonderful gracious saviour I had to tell somebody about it so I, I went around to the local Salvation Army 
Of course, service had been finished for over an hour. But as it would be, Tresno is standing out the front with a guy called Ron Mann. And I come to her and she said, you're a Christian. And I said, you betcha. And she said, come inside, Steve, and kneel at the mercy seat. So I did and I made this little public acclamation of what had happened in my caravan. The next week was very hard. Um, Tresnay had asked me, um, would I come to the Congress Hall with a bus, they were taking a bus down for the welcoming of the new cadets into college. And this lass who'd written a poem for me was being welcomed in and said, will you come down with the rest of the tribe next, next? And I said, yeah. And deep down, she didn't really believe I'd be back to hop on that bus on the Saturday and go down. Next week was incredibly hard. Guys, if you've been as heavy a drinker as I was, I was really struggling. Um, the liquid that was needing to come into me, I had those um, coffee pots, you know, those pump things, two litres, uh, they'd just come out. Thank you for that. And I'd fill one of those up at two o'clock in the morning and I'd just keep pouring the coffees into me. Uh, I'd go and sit in the showers in the amenities room because I couldn't stand up and just let the water fall over me and and try and wash myself and get started and go to work and uh, work each day. And then the following Saturday, I turned up at the Salvos to hop in this bus and go to, to go to Sydney. Tresno couldn't believe it. So I went down to Sydney, we had the welcoming meeting, we had church the next day and it was a marvellous service. It's a beautiful service. And Tresno asked me, would I come around to the quarters where the officers lived? There was her and another officer at the time, Francis Bennett. Would I come around and have afternoon supper with them? And I said, yeah, sure. So we had supper, a few of us that were around at a house after church. And when I was leaving, she walked out the door and she grabbed my hand and she said, Steve, what has happened in your life is miraculous. And I believe God is going to use you in the future. But be careful. Because the evil one has got something to throw at you. Please be careful. And I can still remember my answer to Tresnay. I said, um, Tresnay, I've hung around with the devil for a long time. I know all his tricks. He's got nothing. He's got nothing that he's going to surprise me with. The next morning, um, Tresnay on her way down to Sydney to see her uh, fiancé uh, and also visit Julia and tell her how well I was going, died on the road in a tragic accident at Lura in pouring rain. I found out that afternoon and I want to tell you, I was a mess, I was busted. I went into um, the family hotel and I ordered a schooner and I couldn't drink it. I went over to the pub across the road and uh, ordered a schooner and had it there and I couldn't drink it. I went to the Carrington and I ordered a schooner and I'm, and I'm, I'm holding it in my hand and a guy called Slippery um, who was really, really happy to see me in there because I was his meal ticket. We were partners at snooker and darts and anything and everything else you can get a quit out of. And he'd lost his meal ticket because I, I was straight. And he's, he's alongside me saying, yeah, I'm glad you got it. This, this Christianity cape is a load of garbage, mate. I'm glad you got it together again. And all I want to do is put down the schooner and punch him in the face. And I couldn't do either. I got back to the caravan and... Um, I read the book of Romans, which was Tresnay's um, favourite passage of scripture. And uh, you might think it's a strange um, book in the Bible to read for your first book. But I read it all night long and, and, uh, 
and I prayed and the only verse of scripture I knew by heart was 1 Corinthians 10.13 and every now and then I just recite it again. He says, I promise you, I won't allow you to be tempted beyond your strength to be able to handle it and at the height of the temptation, I'll show you the way out and I just claimed that promise all night long, all night long and I went to work the next day with a peace in my heart and started this wonderful journey wonderful wonderful journey with God which has been a, a marvelous experience for me full of serendipities and all the hard times have been pretty easy for God hard for me but that 1 Corinthians 10 13 it will never be too hard uh, at the height of your temptation I'll show you the way out I've got a, a, a couple of footnotes and I wonder whether the worship band might like to come up and thank you very much guys for the way that you lead us in worship um, we, we're very fortunate in this church to have such a, a, a talented and um, um, God-gifted group of people. Uh, a couple of footnotes for you. Uh, Rhiannon is one of my best mates. Uh, we see each other. She, she's down in Central Coast now and she's a single mum uh, with a nine-year-old daughter, Christina, and she's one of the best mums. Got no idea. She's a bonza lass and we see each other when we can and we're always contacting each other on the phone and WhatsApp and and text all the time and she's a delightful young woman uh, now this one's a beauty on Tuesday uh, having my bike ride I um, uh, I finished just short of 100 k's and I stopped at Annandale Hungry Jacks which is my uh, which is my lot in life and I have a I have a uh, a free seniors skim flat white and a Fuji apple uh, to get recovery energy to go and do another 30 k's to finish the day off and and I got my coffee and spoke to a few of the people in there and I walked outside um, at the table and I sat down and I put my coffee down and I pulled the apple out of my pocket and my phone rang and this guy says uh, Steve Metcher and I said yeah and he said I'm your son Nicky 34 years, not a word, never knew where he was and here he is ringing me up and so we had a long conversation and uh, since then I can't tell you how many messages and photos have gone backwards and forwards. As a matter of fact, I had my phone turned off while I was in the office um, this afternoon and I turned it on again and at, at 13 minutes to um, 6, there's this long message from him because he just finished work saying, um, even though it seems like you've had it really hard. He said, I guess it was for best, he said, because now I've got my wife and kids that I probably never would have known if it had been different and you've got Julia and the boys and uh, I can't wait to see you on Christmas Eve when you come down. It's really going to be something special. He's a uh, well-adjusted lad, uh, married to a lawyer um, down in Sydney and uh, he has two sons and another one on the way. Now... <sighs> Can you believe that? 34 years. Rhiannon's 36 tomorrow and I don't deserve the love I have from her and I'm really and truly praying and hoping that I can build a solid relationship with Nikki. And uh, God is just so special, guys. He is a beautiful and wonderful Lord. He has saved my family. My mum and my sister are in heaven. My brothers, Jerry and Stan. I was down in Melbourne three weeks ago. It was Jerry's 70th birthday. My 76-year-old uh, brother has um, reminded me a couple of times, just because I don't go to church, don't think I don't believe 
I've got the same Jesus. And I want to conclude with Jerry's conversion. Jerry was a detective uh, down in, in Melbourne and, uh, and a police officer at different times. Uh, he, he was in a detective group for a while. And after my conversion, he was very cynical. Can you blame him? I know this bloke. <laughs> this isn't real. And then after a period of time, he, he started thinking, can it be real? And then my nephew was getting uh, married our nephew was getting married and so he came up from Melbourne to Sydney I was living out of Kingsford at the time and he stayed with me with his wife and uh, we, the, the, the wedding the, and the service was later on in the day and uh, and I had to go and do street ministry at Penrith Corps I was a soldier a soldier at Penrith Corps and this was in the days when the Great Western Highway just went straight through the, the centre of the city that was the shopping centre there was no malls or anything like that and I used to do a street ministry next to one of the very first ATMs and uh, a good place to be with the money box and hand out these cards to the kids as they come by. Now, uh, I didn't have a car. I was saving up to go to college. My brother drove me over there in the morning and then he went off and did some things. He said, I'll come back and pick you up in four hours' time, one o'clock. I said, great, Jez. Jerry came back and I had a car park on the other side of the Great Western Highway for anybody who wanted to come and shop. And Jerry walked out onto the, the Great Western Highway and he looked down the street, I suppose from here to the furthest corner out near the, the outside door. And he seen me on my knees with all these kids around me, handing out little Jesus texts and pictures and photos. And he's in a doorway, 40, 50 meters away, whatever he is, and watching this. And I've got my back to him. And he walked back into the doorway. And he said, Jesus, I believe. He walked over to me and he tapped me on the shoulder and I turned around and I looked at him and I said instantly, Jerry, you're a Christian. How do you know? I handed him the money box and uh, I handed him the money box and some cards and I said, bless God. And I just left him taking donations and handing out texts to these kids for the next 10 or 15 minutes. As I said, I was down in Melbourne three weeks ago and uh, my brothers are beautiful blokes. Stan's a wonderful gentleman and Jerry's a tall, athletic, you know, he was a champion runner, a stall gift runner and everything else. And a uh, 70-year-old, he's just a gentle giant. He's got the humility of Christ. He's a beautiful man. And I was sitting down having a coffee on the day after his birthday, his 70th on the Sunday, three weeks ago. And uh, I reminded him of his conversion. And how wonderful do you think it would be in hard times when he's been struggling and remember to remember, my brother told me I was a Christian when nobody in the world knew. He went to Springwood with us the next day to church and uh, made a public acclamation of his faith and it was one of the best services you've ever seen in that church in your life. God blessed him. Why am I telling you that story? Well, what I want to say to you is God put something on your heart. Do it. Don't worry about, will people think I'm crazy or whatever. If it's of God, respond. And respond straight away. If he says to you now, surrender for whatever it is, be 
please respond. I've been a reasonably obedient Christian um, during my life, but sometimes I've made him wait. And during those times, it's been no good for me and it's no good for those around me. When he says, now, no matter what it is, whether it's he's touching you now and saying, surrender your life to me, I've only got good things for you. Eternal life, salvation, freedom, peace, and some reality in this life that's very, very special. Take it, respond. If the gift of Christ within you needs some stirring up, if maybe you've been a bit lazy, got a bit used to hanging around with God, if he spoke to you in some or any way out of my story tonight, please respond to him as you need to. The way he's open here is it is in a Salvation Army church all the time. Uh, you don't need anybody to come to you if you come out here. Only you can surrender. Nobody can do that for you. However, if you want somebody to pray for you, put your hand up. I'm sure somebody will come out and support you in prayer. But don't leave here tonight without surrendering for whatever it is that you need His grace. I promise you, I couldn't do it on my own, no matter how clever you think you are, and nobody can. We can only do it by His grace. Bless you.